Tonight, God's Word comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to be reading just the first 11 verses of this chapter. First Corinthians 6, beginning at verse 1, we hear now is God's Word. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers? Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, tonight we return to the second section of Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. That section versus, uh, excuse me, chapters five and six. And in these two chapters, Paul deals with matters that had been reported to him. Last time in chapter five, he dealt with the matter of tolerance in the church, an ungodly tolerance, a tolerance for sin and even a boasting about how tolerant they were of sin. We move on tonight, and he will talk about disputes in the church, lawsuits in the church. And as Paul did last time, he will instruct them, he will warn them, he will show them a better way to deal with difficulties that arise within the church. And he'll, he'll point out to us that these lawsuits, these disputes, were an external manifestation of what was going on internally. The, the root of the problem was not disputes and lawsuits in the church. The root of the problem was a lack of love. A lack of love for God, a lack of love for God's people. 
This is the presenting problem, disputes in the church. But Paul will speak about the underlying problem, lack of love among the brothers and sisters in the church. He begins verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? When they were wronged in the church, their first response was to go to the world, to go before a worldly judge. Now, we have to be careful not to make this text say more than it does. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 does not say a believer may never be party to a lawsuit. If it's between someone who is in the church and in the world, that's not being addressed here. But it's talking about those inside the church. Brothers and sisters within the church should not be taking themselves before the civil courts. He's also not saying that the civil courts can never give a just outcome to the lawsuits brought before them. What he is saying is that believers, brothers and sisters in the Lord, do not belong there. When one of you has a grievance against another one, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? He will go on to say, verse 2, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? He says you're doing it exactly backwards. You're allowing the church, excuse me, the world to judge the church. Don't you know that the church will end up judging the world? And beyond that, he says, and do you not know that you are even going to judge angels? Now, I have to confess, I do not know exactly what Paul is referring to when he says the church will judge angels. But whatever it meant, it is something that would take place. And what Paul is saying is, if you can judge angels, how much more then in matters pertaining to this life? You should be competent within the church to judge these matters. You'll judge angels at some point, so how much more the things that are earthly, the things among us? He uses here the trivial matters in this life. Paul says, no, don't bring your disputes before the world. Rather, bring your disputes before the church. Notice the last half of verse 1 once again. Does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? If there is a dispute between brothers and sisters in the church... Their first recourse should not be to go to the world. Their first recourse should be to come to the church. Now, perhaps that's a foreign concept to us. Apparently, it was a foreign concept to the Corinthians as well. But this is Paul's instruction. This is God's intention. 
if there are disagreements within the people of God, those in the church are qualified to judge. That's been God's way throughout history. Already in the time of Moses, people would bring their cases to Moses, the leader of God's people within the church, and he would judge them. God would set up judges. God would establish the kingship. There might be justice and equity among God's people. They did not take their cases to the Philistines. They brought their disagreements to the leaders within the church. The same, the same should be true for us today. If there are differences, disputes, between brothers and sisters within the church, we should bring those matters to the church, that is, to the elders, the leaders of God's people, to make judgments. They are competent to judge within the church. Because when they meet together, it is not just a group of men meeting together, it is Christ himself with them. We read read this last time in chapter 5, verse 4. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan. They would make judgments, but not simply as men. They would make judgments in the name and with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is consistent with what what Christ himself teaches us in Matthew chapter 18. He says in chapter 18, verse 17, talking about a dispute between brothers, if he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to the church, let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Those two or three who gather in his name are the elders. And when those two or three agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done by the Father in heaven. When when the elders meet together and discuss matters of discipline in the church, they meet not only as men, but they meet as elders, those called by God and promised the presence of God. They would be the first to acknowledge they are sinful and fallible men. And so they rely. They rely on God's spirit. They rely on his presence as they are called to make decisions in difficult cases, in difficult disputes. We, We must not lose confidence in that, that God has gifted our elders. It has been such a pleasure to get to know the men of this congregation who have served in the eldership of this church, and they are wise, godly men. Men we can trust to help us when we find ourselves in disagreements. They are men qualified by God himself. The problem, the outward problem that Paul is dealing with is disputes, lawsuits within the church. But then he goes on. 
verse 7. To have a lawsuit at all with anyone, meaning within the church, is already a defeat for you. Even the fact that we have these disagreements, these disputes, these lawsuits is evidence of a lack of love for God and for each other. They wanted things their own way. And Paul calls them to love each other, to be selfless in their concerns, even if it means they would be wronged. And he will here address really both parties of the lawsuit. He will address those who bring the lawsuit, those who are being the lawsuit brought against them. He says again, verse 7, to have lawsuits is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not be defrauded? For the one who is bringing the lawsuit, who is concerned that they are not getting their fair share, Paul says, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded. This is certainly not a worldly understanding. The worldly understanding is I want my rights, I want my way. We live in a me-first saturated culture. It's all about me, it's about my happiness, it's about my rights, it's about me getting my way and pity the person who gets in my way, looking out for number one. That is the mentality of the world. It is not to be the mentality in the church. We see it so developed so quickly, even in our children, that me-first attitude. If you walk in to a room and you see four children there and there's a broken lamp in the middle of the floor and you ask those children who broke the lamp they'll all point the finger someplace else but if you walk to those same four children and you have one ice cream cone in your hand and you say who deserves this ice cream cone me 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 you'll hear four me's immediately they learn it from the culture they learn it from their parents. That, that, that me-first attitude that so resides within us, left to ourselves, we are egocentric. I want my rights, my way, when I want them. Paul says this is already evidence of a lack, of a defeat. This lack of love this lack of selflessness. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? It is better to suffer than to bring shame upon the name of Jesus Christ when brothers and sisters dispute and have lawsuits within the church. It is better to be wronged. And the way we know that is because we see that in our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. He was the one who was perfect, absolutely innocent. But he was willing to be wronged. He was willing to be defrauded. He was willing to be unjustly condemned to accomplish the work of salvation. He would suffer as one who was innocent and do it for those who are guilty. He was selfless. 
He did all of this for us, that we might be brought into a loving relationship with Him. And He continues to call. He continues to say, look, trust in me. Put your hope in me. The selfless Savior calls again tonight and says, leave that that egocentric person that you are by nature and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and know the forgiveness of your sins, the one who emptied himself, that we might be filled. And when we think of what he did for us, of the extent to which he went, we have to say, who are we to make demands of others? Who are we not to selflessly give up our rights, our position? Paul goes on, he says in verse 8, You yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Should we not be willing to be wronged? He says, if you're the one doing the wronging, if you're the one bringing the suit, if you're the one being sued, either way, do not needlessly offend a brother. You are to love God above all and to love your neighbor as yourself. The call to live in peace and harmony. We have read that tonight in the Psalms. We have sung that in the Psalms. We're going to sing it again after this sermon about the blessing of dwelling together in unity. We have to be so careful not to let the ways of the world influence the church. It's it's to be just the opposite. The ways of the church are to influence the world. God calls us to put our love into action. Jesus speaks about that again in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He says in verse 38, You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's retribution. That's a dispute. You do this to me, I do the same thing back to you. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. That is countercultural living. But it is evidence when that happens within the body of Christ, evidence of our love for God and our love for each other. The church should look different from the world. We are to have a God-first attitude, a Christ-first attitude, not a me-first attitude. And Paul says, this is no small matter. These, these lawsuits, these disputes are evidence of a deeper problem, a willingness, an unwillingness to be wronged by others, wanting my own way. He says in verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous, that the wrongdoers, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. He reminds us that our outward actions betray where our heart is at. He says, if you do these things, 
If you are unrepentant as you do this, these things, if the church is tolerant of these things, then you will not be part of the kingdom of God. We know, we know that we are saved by the grace of God alone. But we go to hell with the works of our own hands. When I put my desires, my rights ahead of everything else, it is evident my heart is not in tune with God's heart. I am not wanting what He wants for me. I want what I want for me. When we deliberately and persistently continue in these ways of unrighteousness, God says, you will have no part in my kingdom. Don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. When you live this way in unrepentant, open sin, you will not be part of God's kingdom. And Paul says these amazing words, verse 11, and such were some of you. He's not making this stuff up. This is the way you were, he says. But rather than ending on that note, he gives them the hope of the gospel. Notice, such were some of you. Not are, such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were that way, but you no longer are that way. Because you were justified. You were sanctified. We say, how is it possible we could live the type of life Paul is calling us to, this selflessness, this, this lack of pushing my wants and my desires? It is only possible when we find ourselves in Jesus Christ. It is only possible when His Spirit is at work within us. The wonderful truth is, if God could change them from their sins, He can do the same thing for us. We have not outsinned the work of God's Spirit. But He continues today to call us to holy living, to remind us it would be better if we would be wrong than to, than to bring shame upon our Lord Jesus Christ by taking a brother before the world. We would better be wronged. We'd better be, better be hurt than do that. And it is only possible to do that when God's Spirit is active and working within us. God is a God who changed the hearts of the Corinthian church. And God is a God who still changes hearts today. If you are here this evening holding a grudge, holding on to anger, having a dispute toward a brother or sister in Christ, God calls you tonight to, to reflect upon what Christ has done for you, what He suffered for you, and then know that, that He has not only done that, but He has given His Spirit to you. To pray that, that God would, would calm our hearts, would remove the anger, the root of our disputes, the lack of love for brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we have been washed. 
We have been sanctified. We have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Spirit of our God. God continues to give His Spirit to the church. He continues to call us to acknowledge our tendency toward selfishness, our tendency toward wanting our own way, and to give that up and to show our love for Him as we show our love for others. When we find ourselves having difficulty and remaining in disputes, God has given us a wonderful resource, the eldership of the church, to help us to show our love both to God and to our neighbor. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, you call us to peace. You call us to oneness for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of his Spirit. We pray, O oh God, that you would help us to manifest the love that we have for you by showing that love to those around us, particularly those within the congregation. Lord, we confess our hearts so desire our own ways. The idea of being wronged is just abhorrent to us. And yet your son, Jesus Christ, faced the ultimate wronging that we might have new life. In gratitude for what you have done, O God, help us to live in a way that honors your word and that honors you both in the church and before the world. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.